Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number two of my podcast, Comfort, Peace, and Freedom. I'm Ken Rusk. On my show, I like to speak with world-class personalities about what made them successful and about their own personal beliefs and experiences with my three favorite words, comfort, peace, and freedom. Today, we're going to talk to Brian Scudamore. Talk about a visionary. He's a hugely successful entrepreneur and the author of several books on business. He's launched many amazing companies with household names like 1-800-GOT-JUNK, a company he started with one truck and turned into a $250 million enterprise. Today, you're going to hear his thoughts on entrepreneurship. He'll answer the question of why one builds a business to begin with and the magic of being your own boss, which coincidentally happens to be the title of one of his inspiring books. So let's get to it. Brian Scudamore, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you for having me, Ken. You know, uh, we, we talk a lot about entrepreneurship and, and you know, you've been on a lot of podcasts, I'm sure, as have I with the, the, the books that we've written. And, you know, a lot of times these podcasts always start out with, well, tell me about how you grew up or tell me about how you came to be in, into the business. Tell me about your path to success. I'd like to take a little bit of a different spin on that and say and ask you this. So when you look back as to a lot of the things that you did when you were younger, maybe the first jobs that you had, what was the first job that you had that you said, you know what, I'm kind of feeling entrepreneurial about this. Like I'm kind of feeling like I kind of control my destiny here. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I had a couple. I mean, I was always starting little businesses on the side. I used to sell candy from my dorm room. The one year that I went to boarding school, I was sent away as a kid who wasn't a very good student and needed to kind of get a reality check. And what I remember is I was about a half an hour walk from the little town where people could go by, students could go buy chocolate bars and candy. And I thought, well, I'm going to start a business here from my dorm room where I go buy it from that store and bring it and sell it at a markup. So I realized I was entrepreneurial because I went down to this Mason's grocery store and I said, hey, here's what I'm looking to do. The guy liked my entrepreneurial spirit at 14 years old, said, <laughs> I'll sell it to you at a discount, almost wholesale. I got to mark it up a little bit in my dorm room. And whenever everyone was done homework time, I would open up my, my school store and people would come into my dorm and I'd be selling all this stuff and making a whack load of money to the point that the school store... They used to have a little snack shop in my private school that they felt I was competing with them and they didn't like the competition. So they <laughs> shut me down. So we had price. I dealt at 14 years old with buying wholesale, having price wars, having unfair competition. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? This is fun. I was making more money than any other kid because no one else had a business in the school. And uh, it gave me some freedom and excitement. And I thought, I'm going to, how can I? parlay this into my my life and it's funny because ultimately an academic life of going to school I talked my way into university without having finished high school and I never finished university as well because I was learning more about running a business versus studying in school and I think entrepreneurship's just been in my blood so my my father was a pretty tough marine and I have four brothers and we lived in a little tiny house and you know, he, he did everything for, I mean, he, he, 
protected us and he sheltered us and he clothed us. And my parents were great and they fed us. I mean, it was, it was, you know, my, my mother, I always say she could make pizza crust so thin you could read the newspaper through it because we didn't have any money. We didn't have any money back then. Right. But my father did say, if you wanted something more out of what we're doing for you, then you need to go out and find a way to get it. You need to go out and do that on your own. And I remember my first stint with entrepreneurship was when I was about 14 or 15, I, I was actually a landscaper and, and I started to do some side jobs for, for my dad's friends and, and family and whatnot. And um, I remember leaving the job site with a couple of my buddies that I had left there to do work while I was going somewhere else. And I said, you know, I, I'm paying those guys $5 an hour and I'm charging $8 an hour for their services. And, and here I am off site doing something else. Mm -hmm. And yet this is all kind of working really cool. And the control factor for me was 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 just a, a really neat thing. And I, I, like you said, well, maybe I can expand upon, upon that. So if you were going to explain the word because everybody thinks an entrepreneur is something you're born with. Okay, I get accused of that all the time. Can you explain what you think an entrepreneur is to, to anyone who might be out there thinking, you know, I think I might want to start my own business or do something? What do you think that means? Yeah. So as you mentioned, the, the book I wrote, one of the books, BYOB, Be Your Own Boss, Build Your Own Business. I think being an entrepreneur is both those things. Someone that wants to be their own boss. They want to be in charge. They want to take an idea and go, I can drive this with my vision and my ideas, but pool in a bunch of people to be a part of the team. I think that some people just want to build a business and they want to really, I think like myself, they know that we can build something much bigger and better together versus going at it alone. An entrepreneur, I think, is a leader, someone that rallies people together with a common idea and can build something special. The The sign behind me says it's kind of fun to do the impossible. It's a quote from Walt Disney. I love possibilities. I love dreaming up big ideas. And I go, junk removal. The simplest of ideas where people will often say, why didn't I think of that? What I saw differently as an entrepreneur was the ability to take a risk and say, nobody's ever professionalized this dirty industry. No one's added uniforms clean, shiny trucks, friendly uniform mm -hmm. drivers. I'm going to do that. So I think to circle back, an entrepreneur is someone not necessarily born. You might have it in your blood like I feel I do, but you might have it be a goal of something you want to learn. And how do you take your leadership and apply it to entrepreneurship to build something and to build something with other great people? So then if somebody asked you, do you think anybody, like if some parent said, could any of my kids be entrepreneurs. I mean, how do you answer that? Do you think that is true? You know, one of the things that I talk about a lot is, you know, I think entrepreneurship is just a set of characteristics that each one of us possesses the ability to have persistence and resilience and faith and courage and humility and, and initiative and generosity and that kind of thing. I think every one of us has those characteristics inside of us. They just have to have a reason to come out. They're lying behind those old shoes in your closet that you haven't worn for a long time, dormant, ready for a reason to come out. And um, I, I always think that it's, why are you doing it? Like, what's the why? What, what, what is your vision if you're doing it? And how clear is that vision? So when I think of what you did and the businesses that you built, did you see something first? Like, did you see some kind of reward for doing this? Or did you see some type of, of path? Or what, what, how clear was the vision? And what was it to get you on that first 
uh, business venture there? Yeah, so I would first say I, I agree with you, Ken, on the, the the start with why. Big Simon Sinek fan. Simon was on our board years ago, and Simon Sinek would say it starts with why. If you know why you want to do something, that star will, that fire will burn so bright beneath you that it can elevate you up. So my why and my vi my vision changed over the years. In the beginning, it was to find a way. I started the Rubbish Boys, was what the first company was called as a way to pay for uh, college. But then once I left college, because I was learning more about business, running a business, I said, um, my, my vision was then to build a household name in Vancouver under the name 1-800-GOT-JUNK. The vision and the why grew over time. But I think for me, my why has always been to inspire possibilities in other, others. You know, we can do this. We can build this industry in Vancouver, across Canada, across the United States, into Australia. We can add other brands. We added Wow One Day Painting where we paint people's homes in a day. The biggest critiquer or the, the largest uh, sort of critique that we get is people from the painting industry saying, you can't paint a home in a day. <laughs> but I love showing that, yes, we can. And here's how. Uh, we started Shack Shine, windows, gutters, power washing. So I love taking fragmented mom and pop businesses, blue collar businesses, if you will, and professionalizing them. That is the why that drives me doing impossible things or they're seemingly impossible to others, but showing people, no, we can and we will do this. It, it's never been about money. I think when someone's why is driven by money, I'm going to buy a Lamborghini. I'm going to use my money for this. I think people fail because I think that's a, a pretty weak fire. But if it's something to make people better, to make the world better, to challenge the status quo, those are the things that really rally a team where they go, yeah, I want to build that with you. And do you think that when you talk about that passion, do you think it, it's solely that drive or, you know, you talked about, well, the, buying the Lamborghini, you know, and when I talk about it is, you know, you need to build a vision for what you want your life to look like. And, and I talk about all types of things like, you know, non-money things like what would be your charity or your give back moment if, if you had some money to give away uh, your time, talent and treasure? What would your what would your house look like? I mean, we're not all going to go after McMansions, but would you feel comfortable being in, you know, a ranch house or a house on the, in, in, in the suburbs or or something on a farm, some rural setting? How would you drive? What would you do? Like draw your life and see what that would look like down to your pet. I mean, what mm -hmm. kind of what kind of pet would you have? A dog or a cat? And if so, what color? What would you name it? Get that whole vision going in front of you. It sounds like it's, you know, you could look at that as, you know, well, that's a monetary thing, but really it's a life design. Do you think there's any benefit in in knowing what your life design is before mm -hmm. you look for that passion or that path on how to get there? Yeah, 100%. I uh, call it creating your painted picture. What's your vision of your future life. In five years, what does your personal life look like? What does your business look like? And hey, I'm not criticizing someone that wants to get a Lamborghini. If they're a car buff and they love all things Italian and there's a reason why and a story behind it, hey, great. But what I'm saying is there's got to be something much bigger than money. If money's the number one thing, I think people will fail because someone doesn't want to help you build your business so you can go buy a Lamborghini. That's not a shared dream. Someone wants to help you build your business, and it takes great people to build things together. I, I think very few people have ever been successful alone, if you really get honest. And so I think it's how do you rally people together? It's got to be a shared common cause. 
I think designing your own personal life gives you a northern star to shoot for. The clearer you are on what that picture looks like, you don't have to know how to get there, but at least design where are you going. And we did that with the vision for, or I did that, the vision for 1-800-GOT-JUNK became, we're going to be on the Oprah Winfrey show. We're going to be the FedEx of junk removal with clean, shiny trucks, friendly, uniform drivers. We're going to be in the top 30 cities in North America even though we were only in one when I painted that picture. I wanted to give people a visual image in their mind that they could see what was going on in my mind. This is what I see things looking like. The more you can share, I think, the vision, the painted picture of what you see your shared future being like, the more likely you'll get to your own personal future of the homes, the being on the water, the entertaining friends and family kind of thing. And and how does that, how does that, because I think culture, we're, we're in the ditch digging business, okay? So we literally pound jackhammers and we break down old basements and we dig ditches and we, we remove water and clean up old musty basements. And, you know, I went from six people to 200 in, in, a, in a matter of 30 years. And I, it, to me, it was all about, you know, trying to build that culture. I have probably said a thousand times in front of everybody, I can't get what I want, nor can my company get what it wants or needs until all of you get what you want first. And, and I absolutely, I absolutely believe that. And I think the key to it is not for me to believe it, but for them to believe it. <laughs> okay. So what, how does that enter into your hiring when, when you, you're trying to paint this culture? Because a lot of places, you know, you used to be able to put an ad in the newspaper and there'd be 10 people in your foyer the next day. Well, now there's maybe two or three and they're looking at you like, well, hey, Brian, what's in it for me to work here? OK, <laughs> it's kind of a different, a different uh, uh, atmosphere right now. How does that how does culture building enter into your hiring process? Well, Ken, when you say that people are asking what's in it for me, I first ask people, what are you looking for? What do you want? And then I show them what's in it for them. So an example would be the painted picture. We have someone read this one-page, double-sided picture of our envisioned future for 1-800-GOT-JUNK or Shack Shine. It doesn't matter which brand. And if something resonates with them, I ask them, what gets you excited in that painted picture? Well, I love the fact that you guys want to be on Ellen. I've always been a big fan of the Ellen DeGeneres show. And, and I he, here's what I want to do to help you make that happen. It, or I love the way you treat people. You say you're a business that's all about people. That's the way I feel about people. And I want to be a customer service champion that helps you get there. It is finding out what resonates with where you're going and how you want to get there in a painted picture that attracts employees to your business. I mean, people join Apple and Starbucks and these great brands, not because of the coffee, not because of the technology, but because right. of the greater good and the meaning, the challenging, the status quo, the, the doing things differently. That's what gets people fired up. So it doesn't matter if you're digging ditches like Ken or hauling junk like Brian. It is a, what is it about the business that can be a vehicle towards making the world a better place. Businesses well, can do good, and and they and they do if you find the right people that that believe that and want to champion that same sort of worthy direction. So you know you probably hire a lot of I would say blue collar workers to drive the trucks around and to do the things that you do. I do the same thing. I'm I'm hiring people that it might be their first, second, or third job, and. Mm -hmm. 
are you finding it so it, it's it's just as easy to share a vision with somebody like that who tends to look, you know, I have to constantly battle. I'm working for Friday. Okay. I'm mm. working for, for getting paid on Friday and I'm just going to try and cover my bills. And I try to get them involved in these longer conversations, three months, mm. six months, one year. And, and the biggest thing that I try to impose upon them is the fact that you know, you're in control of your input, which means you're in control of your own output. You're in control of your day, your time, your schedule. You're in control of your financial gain working here. So it's up to you to know that you're, you can do what you want with and through this company. So do you find it's easy to try to paint that picture with someone who's, again, more, more the truck driver than the, the, the controller in your office? So here's a fun fact for you. Did you know that only 14 out of every 100 adults describes themselves as happy? That's a pretty low number. The question you have to ask yourself is, are you one of those lucky few or do you feel like there's more to life out there? I've been fortunate to work with some brilliant course designers to create a course that will help you define and build comfort, peace, and freedom in your life. I call it the path and it is a great way to help you identify what you really want out of your life and to develop the skills necessary to go get it. When you join the course, not only will you receive a digital copy of my Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, but you'll also get lifetime access to the best goal-setting tactics that I have used to turn myself into an effective, goal-oriented machine and take control of my mind, my money, and my life. All of this great information is normally available to you at $129. However, for you amazing listeners of today's podcast, you can get lifetime access to the path for just 99 bucks. And if you do it today, I'll do you one better. Get involved now and I'll actually donate a free course and a free book to any one of your choosing. So you can not only change your own life, but help someone else in the process. And what can be better than that? So just use the link in today's show description and the discount code podcast to get started. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. I don't know if it's easy, but it's it's a conversation. You know, what what drives you? What do you love to do? If someone's, you know, trying to figure out how to get to Friday and get a paycheck and go have some beers and have some fun, it's it's still understanding from that person, maybe even over a beer what excites you in life? Like, what do you love to do? What's your reason for being? And finding out what people have as their own personal goals, and then understanding how can a company help make those dreams a reality. I think most people dream of something bigger than where they're at. And it's just, it's asking the questions sometimes. It's, it's really finding out, like, if you could have a bigger job one day, what would it be? And why? What, what gets you excited and fired up? What, why do you get out of bed? And they might give you the superficial questions at first. Well, I'm, I'm trying to get to Friday. I trying to pay my bills, make ends meet. But what would you do if you had something bigger than just making ends meet? Asking questions and listening, I think, is the, the key there. You know, so many people in trying to run businesses now, when I'm running around, you know, with my buddies or whatever, and a lot of them own companies, they're like, nobody wants to work. You know, nobody comes for interviews or I can't keep people or whatever. And, and I think it's because, they're they're waking up to oh my gosh you mean i have to work on my culture now 
I used to always have this job that I would pay people. And I thought that was kind of good enough. So yeah, for us, it's, it's a lot of the same thing. I mean, we not only have to lead them to their goals and have them arrive at a, a, a proper goal, but we need to also build the mechanics of that goal where, where they're actually, they're actually identifying a goal that they want to do. They identify the time frame that they want to do it in and the path to getting there. You know, I want to save 60 bucks a week for a year so I can go somewhere or I, I, I want to save, you know, $100 a, a week so I can have a down payment on a car or whatever it is. And we have a start date and an end date. But more, more importantly, we actually share that with the entire building so that when people are walking around, they can see this on the wall and high five that guy or that gal that's walking past them to say, hey, I see you're halfway there. Do you find, um, do, you, do you have some type of mechanism for sharing goals in your organizations? Yeah, we ask people. We we have people with their managers would have something called goal setting and review, GSNR. And so we find out what was your goal last week. And we ask them some personal goals, not just the business goals. But what was your goal last week? How did you do? Why didn't you hit your goal? What's that micro goal for next week? And how can we ensure you're on track to be successful? So a manager, a leader in our business serves the role of playing a bit of a coach, coaching role to ask the tough questions and to push and to hold someone accountable to what they've set for themselves. You know, this isn't about why didn't you get your job done, but more of a, why do you think you missed and how can we help you? What do you learn from that mistake? You talked about my book, WTF, Willing to Fail. You know, what was the failure in this? Why are you stuck? Why is there repeating failure? And what can you do differently now to unlock a new, better direction? So don't you think that, don't you find then that most people in that situation look at you and go, wow, you actually care about me? <laughs> you know, you're, you're an employer that actually asks me questions that I haven't been asked before. And I think that's the, that's the very beginning for people out there that are trying to hire. I think the very beginning is to get them as soon as, as, soon as you can to understand that you actually care about their future. You're not just caring about what job that they can do for you. So I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that that's absolutely important. So how, how did you know that you were onto something with um, with the Got Junk business? How did you know that, uh-oh, this is something I think is going to rock and roll? Mm. Well, I started in Vancouver. So that painted picture I told you about the top 30 metros in North America when I would tra travel to another city, like San Francisco, for example, I started in Vancouver. I have family in San Francisco. When I would go down south and drive around, I'd see other junk trucks filled with junk. And nobody had branded vehicles. Nobody had clean, shiny trucks. Nobody had friendly, uniform drivers. And I started to see, wow, this isn't just a Vancouver business. Why couldn't I figure out a way to run this business in other cities? And I locked onto the idea of franchising inspired by what Ray Kroc did with McDonald's. Right. Take other people's money, put them into an opportunity, license your goodwill, your know-how, your systems, your brand, and help them springboard into something bigger and faster working with a group of great people. And we do it today in Wow One Day and Shackshine. No, no different than the early days of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And it was really, how do we build blue collar fragmented businesses, but add a level of brand and professionalism and mass marketing and the whole bit to them to have everybody scale quicker than if they started their own little local business. So I love franchising. Hasn't been an easy game by any means, but right. when you build up enough mass of 
100 franchise partners or more, the flywheel momentum starts to kick in your favor and it gets pretty exciting. Franchise owners are different than employees. So are, are you finding you're going through a different type of screening process when you're accepting a franchise owner versus having an employee in your company? Of course, yeah, very, very careful in who we bring on board. I think that's one of the, the secrets of our secret sauce is never, ever, ever compromise on the people we bring in, even as employees. But as franchise partners, we're so cautious and careful to make sure we've got the right people coming in. Uh, we don't always get it right, but we certainly work hard at a process to, in, to, to increase our odds there. And when we've got someone on board as a franchise owner, it's their skin in the game. It's their life. We can help them. We can give them the, the systems, the processes, the support, but they still have to do the hard work and they've got to follow the systems and we build something great together. And when it works, it's magical. When it doesn't work, it's uh, okay. What did we learn? Why did we pick the wrong person? How are we going to select people from here on out and so on? I think persistence and resilience, especially are two awesome qualities when it comes to entrepreneurship. And um, you mentioned in the book that, hey, you know, I was running all these trucks all over the place. <clears throat> you know, this is great. I can do this. I'm going to open a moving company mm -hmm. and um, and try to just layer that same type of uh, <clears throat> framework over top of it. Mm -hmm. That didn't really work out so well. Can you talk just a little bit about that and, and how you figured that out? Yeah, we started a moving business. We added the same sort of branding and magic to it. And we thought, oh, this is easy. We've done this before. We can do it again. And there was something different about moving. So we had four businesses. We now have three. It was a painful eight years of trying to get that moving business to work. But what we realized after eight years, we were still breaking even. We sold it to someone else and, you know, at a, at a break-even rate and said, okay, here's what we learned. When someone has their junk hauled away as a customer, they go, oh, the relief, it's gone. When they have their walls painted with wow one day, it's like, wow, transformation. When they have their windows washed or their gutter cleans, gutters cleaned with shack shine, they go, look at, I can see through my windows. Stuff's not dripping anymore. They feel happy. After moving, no matter how great your movers are and what a great job they've done, stuff might be broken, stuff might be damaged, yeah. lost. You're struggling with unpacking. There's stuff everywhere. You can't find things. It's traumatic. Yeah. New home and lots of work to do. And it's a tough process. It's a big process. And so no matter what we did on the moving side, we couldn't make it a happy business. And that has now become our gauge. That's our learning. Only go into businesses that leave people with a happy feeling after. And it makes sense. You know, hindsight's 2020, but we're we're out of the moving business. We learned a lot. We were willing to fail and we did. And now it's in someone else's hands doing uh, hopefully a better job than we ever could. Well, you know, it, it's funny because every one of us has one of those things, you know, as my contracting business, you know, again, which it, it does make people happy, although I'm not the first dollar they want to spend. I mean, they'd rather spend it on something else, but sure. at least they're not fearful of the next rain or the next heavy windstorm or the, because we protect their home and we make their, their homes healthier for people. And, and, and that's a win. So as I was moving along within my own path, yeah, I invested in some other things that didn't work out that I thought were fantastic ideas. But you have to be willing, you know, to quote your book, you have to be willing to fail in order in order to grow and get bigger. And one of the things that I always promised my staff was I can I can share more of what I do here with you if I find more revenue sources for myself 
to grow this thing bigger. And I think the great part about that was the culture was created where people would say, Ken, we want you to go, we want you to become almost irrelevant to this company in a way that you can go do some of those other things and, and experiment and, and, and try to hit other home runs so that the whole organization can grow bigger. And I think, I think that's, that's a, that's a huge, huge scenario there um, to, to try to grow your company. So um, I want to get to the, to the books real quick. Um, when did you, when did you think, okay, I'm going to be an author. How did, how did that happen? It was, I, it was a really strange thing for me. So how'd that yeah. happen for you? Well, I didn't think I would be an author. I buy books. I, I rarely read them. I certainly don't read the entire book. I put them on bookshelves and they're they're more for decoration than anything. I, I love to learn, but books are difficult for me. I have a hard time staying focused. Yeah. So Roy H. Williams, the Wizard of Ads, he does all our radio creative. He's a marketing genius. So grateful that he's a partner of the business. And for every year, we'd go to Austin to his Wizard Academy and he'd say, Brian, you got to write a book. Brian, you got to write a book. When are you going to write a book? And I said, Roy, I don't need to write a book. You've been asking me for eight years. And I said, here's the reason. I'm not like all other entrepreneurs where I need, my ego says I need to be an author. I don't need to check that box. And I also just, I don't really have the time. And he goes, listen, this isn't about you. This is about others. This is about the difference you will make in writing a book, sharing your stories, wisdoms, wisdom, the things you've learned in life that will benefit others. This is not about you and your ego. You're going to help people. And he said, I promise you will help hundreds of thousands of people. And I said, if you really think that, I'll trust you and we'll do a book. So he said, listen, I'll make it easy. I'll be your co-author. I'll help you out with this. I'll record you and all these stories. Uh, we sat down in a room drinking wine for uh, probably 10 hours, lots of stories, lots of wine. And uh, we came up with the first manuscript that we started working through together. And sure enough, Roy was right. When I got the book out there, it made a difference. Emails and phone calls and people just going, wow, here's what I learned. Here's how you've inspired and then Roy, years later, talked to me into doing a second book. He said, that was the, the story of the founder, your founder's story of how you've all built what you've built. Let's now give some nuts and bolts behind how to go out if someone wants to build their own business. Well, so that, we created, that's yeah. fantastic. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a little bit on BYOB, which is, you know, again, I love the, the, the acronyms, uh, build your own business, be your own boss. The very first thing you talk about is, hey, don't read this book unless you're ready for change, because when you get to the end, you're going to be a different person. You mm. have been warned. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about that. I love I love the that that kind of like I'm in your face. Here we go. If you're ready, read mm. it. If you're not, don't. So tell me about that real quick. Yeah, well, that statement is saying I want someone to read this book and have change come about. Don't waste your time reading a book if you're not prepared to grow. So I want someone to read it and go, okay, I believe there's two big paths to entrepreneurship. Do you build a business from scratch, blank sheet it like I did, like you did? Or do you take a different route? Someone like a Shaquille O'Neal who grew up in basketball, you know, world champion, more rings than anybody. And here's a guy who said, I can take my winning, my goal setting, my building and rallying a team and put it into business. I don't need to start something from scratch. I just need to find the right team and build brands together. And here's a guy who's amassed a half a billion dollars in wealth building businesses wow. by buying franchises. So what I want at the end of the book is someone to go, am I going to start from scratch? 
Am I going to buy a franchise? And I'm not saying they buy one of our franchises, but am I going to go start something, do something? Or, or choice three is they go, you know what? Maybe I'm not cut out to be an entrepreneur. And I'm okay with that. If someone yeah. reads reads my book and says, yeah, I don't want to be an entrepreneur, but hey, at least I've been entertained. I was warned, you know, the whole bit. It's not for everybody. Everybody can learn it, but the same way as, you know, pick basketball. People can learn to play basketball. People can <laughs> learn the rules and how to dribble better and right. pass and do layups, <laughs> but it doesn't mean they're going to be good. It doesn't mean they have the talent to make it a career. Not everybody is meant to be an entrepreneur. Well, you, you you talk about a really cool concept here when you're talking about people getting ready to be entrepreneurs and they need to kind of pick their path as to how they think their 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 product or service will be received. And you talk a lot about there's the puddle, the swamp, the well, and the ocean. Where, where do you think this book is headed on one of those four quadrants? Is it the, the well or the ocean? What do you think? I mean, because you're right, not everyone, everyone can learn entrepreneurship, but not everyone can do it. I believe until they have a strong enough driver. And then I think a lot of people can do it. So where's this book been for you as far as the uh, the well or the ocean goes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a bit of an ocean. I think that, you know, the stats I've heard is that 66% of people dream of building their own business. That That's an ocean. Yeah. Um, if people can read this book and decide, again, do I want to build a business? Yes or no. And what model do I chase? or maybe I'm not ready, or maybe it's not for me. It's meant to be a big ocean type book. WTF was a bit of a puddle. WTF is if you know 1-800-GOT-JUNK, if you know who right. Brian Scudamore is, most people right. wouldn't, but it's, yeah, let me learn some lessons of failure and some entertaining stories that might help me in my business. But BYOB is much more uh, an ocean type book that I'm hoping has a massive impact with uh, anyone that is in that that conversation in their own mind of, okay, I've always wanted to start my own business, but where do I start? Start by reading this book. I, I still, I still go back to the point though, and I think, I think you would agree with this. And I know that Mark Twain agrees with it because he, you, you quote him in here where he says, "This is 150 years ago." He said this. I can teach anybody how to get what they want out of life. The problem is I can't find anybody who can tell me what they want. Mm. And um, I love that quote because I think people mess around with wishes and dreams and hopes too much and they never get really to the want. I mean, something that wakes them up and says, you know, in the middle of the night, you got to do this. So how can you give people advice to to say, be careful of what you really want? I mean, you got to make sure that's a legitimate want before you go launching all this time, effort, and money into things. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it goes back a bit to starting with why. I think the why dictates the wants. For me, it's inspiring possibilities in others. I love working every day because it doesn't feel like work to me because I feel like I'm making a difference in people's lives. I feel like I'm inspiring entrepreneurship or the intrapreneurs in my company who want to try new things and take new risks and learn new mistakes and skills and so on. And so I think if you if you find out your why, the wants will come. So what drives you in life? What do you love most in the world? If I go back to, you know, someone once told me, look back at your high school or elementary school report cards. What patterns stood out? Because who you were then, you probably still are today. People said I was a disruptor. I was the class clown. <laughs> Great. I'm going to disrupt some industries. I'm going to do things differently. 
I'm going to have a sense of humor in everything I do. We're going to have fun. We're going to take our business seriously, but not ourselves and change the world. And so, I mean, in the same way you're digging ditches and I'm hauling junk or painting homes, they're not, it's not rocket science, but I understand that it's a vehicle to accomplish my why. It's a vehicle to inspire others and possibilities. We had, you know, these, these guys uh, from Brooklyn worked in our junk trucks. And I just met Devin recently in, uh, who's from Brooklyn. I met him at one of our conferences we had in Chicago. And here's a guy that started in the junk trucks that said, I've always wanted to run my own business. And he fought us hard. We had no territory to sell for 1-800-GOT-JUNK, but we had a, a Brooklyn franchise for Wow One Day Painting. He's like, I'm going to figure out how to do this. I don't have the money. I need your help finding the money. And he just kept knocking on the door saying, I can do this. Please give me a chance. And today he's an amazing franchise owner, him and his, his partner uh, with Wow One Day Painting. But it's because he just kept driving towards his why. And his why is building something special to take care of his family. Awesome. He's got a family and he'll do that. Awesome. Okay. So this is kind of a lightning round question for you. Uh, I talk a lot about comfort, peace, and freedom in the book. And what I try to do is get people to understand that everybody has their perfect nirvana, the way that they would live, the way that they would say to themselves, wow, this is, if I could live like that, that would be a cool way to live. And, and Brian, it's not all about chasing mansions or 15 cars or mega yachts. It's about what you think you would find your comfort, peace, and freedom in. What, what's your, that, that place? So um, just a couple of quick questions for you. Where do you see yourself when you are your most comfortable? When I'm on, uh, in my storytelling world, talking in front of my team, sharing stories, wins, trying to inspire new possibilities. That, that, is, that is a great answer. And in fact, that's the first time I've gotten that answer. Most people say, well, you know, I'm in my cabin or I'm on a, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing this or I'm on the golf course or whatever. But with you, it's, it's being you in front of your people. And I think that's fantastic. So what about, what about peace? Where do you find the most peace? In the forest, right near my house with my dog. Nothing's better. <laughs> I, I write a whole chapter about my two dogs, um, Bella and Blue, my two Labrador retrievers. They're, they're mini golden retrievers. Yeah. And um, we walk through that park and it's, it's just the most calming place in the world, especially during the fall like it is now. It's just fantastic. So I encourage anyone to take some time to go do that. If nothing else, you'll get some good air to breathe for, for a little bit. So, and, and finally, if you say, you know what, I need to get, I need to get free of all this. I need to go find some, some Brian freedom. What would that look like? Racing down the mountain at Whistler, which is a ski hill near our house, uh, about an hour and a half away, just flying down there, all the freedom in the world, enjoying the snow, going fast, just loving it. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Well, again, uh, thank you for coming on today. You've, um, I love the format and how you wrote your book because, you know, there's a lot of chapters, but they're very short and you're just flying through it and you're getting all these great ideas. I would encourage people to do what I did, which is to make sure that you have your book because there's some great stuff in here that you're going to want to, um, to take uh, with you on, on your journey down entrepreneurship. And, and again, you know, be willing to fail. Okay. Because, that's what uh, a, a true entrepreneur is made up of a lot of things, but I think persistence and resilience are two of the most important things. Uh, Brian Scudamore, um, author, entrepreneur, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I really a, appreciate it. Yeah, have a great day. Thanks for having me, Ken. Fun chat.
Well, there you have it. Some great information from some pretty amazing people. Thank you for taking time to listen to today's show, and I hope that you found some value in what you just heard. If this show positively impacted you in any way, please take a minute to leave a positive review or share it with a friend who could benefit from the Comfort, Peace, and Freedom podcast. I'm Ken Rusk. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon.